I do think quite often what I should have done is I should have hit both of the men and then I should have spat at the lady. <laughs> now, this is this is the, the spirit d'escalier. The, the thing you wish you'd done. And, yeah. Oh, I, I think about it now and I think, well, I should have knocked them both out and then gobbed at her. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? <laughs> Hello, I'm Danny Wallace. And have you noticed that the world has become ruder? I wrote a book called F You Very Much. It's about rudeness, why we are rude, how we are rude. And in it, for example, I discuss the jihadist who fled Britain only to immediately regret it when he found out how, in his words, rude ISIS all were. And I discover the very real effects that rudeness has on each and every one of us. According to my own survey from the book, the very importantly named Wallace Report is the report uh, in the book, 56% of the 2,000 UK adults surveyed said that someone else's rudeness had affected their mental well-being. Plus, a quarter of all kids between 13 and 18 have faced online bullying. In an average week, Brits feel someone was out and out rude to them twice. Now, that's 104 moments of needless rudeness a year. And don't tell me that's not wearing. So what do we do about it without being accused of being snowflakes, a word designed to insult those who think that political correctness is is a bad thing? Um, Mark Haynes, you are here. You join me every week. Thank you for being here. My pleasure, Dan. My Do you know how polite we have to be to one another? Yeah, I think people are going to pick up on if we're not polite enough. Exactly. We're slightly overcompensating. Do you know, since I wrote the book, genuinely, um, I feel it's affected how people treat me. Mm, like, really? Yeah. Like if if I'm talking to someone about the book, say a journalist, or um, or if someone is coming from somewhere to talk about the book, they are so nervous about either being late or impolite. <laughs> like like I'm going to have a massive go at them. Mm. But I'm not. I suppose they've got that thing of going, you're the man now who is the gatekeeper of what is and isn't rude. Yeah. Um, John Ronson, who is he's quoted on the front of your book, he so is, it yeah. seems apposite to mention him. Yeah. He became the gatekeeper of who was and wasn't a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, a job that he didn't really want. <laughs> Yours is much better <laughs> yeah. because people are coming over going, oh, maybe I won't come over because I'm rude. Yeah. Whereas I imagine John, they come over and go, I'm a psychopath, so I'm going <laughs> over. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, I would not want that. Um, Do you feel the world has gotten ruder? I ask you this because this episode is called Fighting Back. Yes. What do we do in the face of rudeness? If someone's rude to you, Mark, Mm. uh, what do you do? Uh, I I usually, what I tend to do, and this is something I've built up over a number of years, is I am taken aback and frequently do nothing. (laughs) You have told me that you, you have started to point out people's rudeness. I have, and I think, again, uh, look, I don't want to say to you, Danny, that this book has changed my life. But I did read it, and uh, we talked about it while you were doing yeah. it. I, I was one of the first people, when you commissioned the Wallace Report, yeah. to secretly think, well, Danny's gone mad. <laughs> um, because, let, let's make it clear, Danny, that was not a cheap report to commission. It was not, no. It, it, was cost, not it cost several thousand pounds. Yeah. However, let me tell you that just the other day, mm. the Wallace Report was quoted for the first time by an academic. And this was reported in the, I think, the Chicago Herald Tribune. Get it. Which I think makes me some kind of academic now. Yeah. The only sting in the tail is that they quoted lots of sources, not just mine, and they credited all those sources. Uh, But my statistics, which were from my report, were just credited to and other sources. (laughs) So, you know, I'll take it, nevertheless. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, that was £7,000 badly spent, Danny. (laughs) I'll say it again. Um, Since reading it, I've been more aware 
of rudeness. And mm-hmm. I think I hadn't really thought about it as a as a as a, a blanket thing that's ruining the world. Mm. After I read this, I began to see it a lot more. And I mean, I talked to you before we did the book, and yeah. I talked really about all the times I've been defenceless in the face of rudeness. Well, you did. We're going to get on to one of those um, in just a moment. It's one of my it's one of my favourite stories from the book, and also just one of my favourite evenings that we've we've had <laughs> yeah. because it seemed it seemed ridiculous. When it comes to rudeness, mm. there, there's something called the looking glass effect. Horton Cooley coined the uh, the expression, I think, in the 1920s, and it's essentially the idea that when someone talks to someone else. We are constantly looking at that other person as if they are a mirror in order to see how we are coming across, how we are reflected in their eyes. It's a kind of form of empathy. So you're looking at the other person for all the signals. Uh, Am I coming across well? Do they like me? Have I offended them? And when it comes to rudeness, something I think is very important is to call out rudeness. Mm. It's what I've discovered writing this book. It's no good kind of hiding from it. We have to sort of shine a spotlight on it, which kind of brings me to that story. Mm. Now, this is something I wanted to include uh, in the book, but I wanted to to get in your own words. We were at a friend's 40th birthday party. Yes. Very fancy affair. It was, and he had a lot of tables. A lot of people had been invited. The great and the good. It was yeah. like a mob party. I mean, there must have been 200 people there yeah. in, a, in a nice room with these great big long tables, yeah. and those were set out for everyone. They had the little name tags, mm-hmm. and you had your beautiful glasses, four different glasses, and you know six different knives. It was a proper... Beautiful do. Yeah. We were having a nice time. It was lovely. Uh, they rang the, the bell. Yeah. Come on, everyone. It's time for your dinner. Exciting. Yeah. Now, you would have had to peel off to the left at this point, and I was going off to the right. And I remember that moment. I remember you going, I'll, I'll go over to my table. Mm. And then you saw something. I could see from the seating plan where my place was. Yeah. And when I got halfway down the table to where my seating place was, someone was already there. Yeah. And there was a lady sitting on my plate. I'll just get you to repeat that. There was a lady sitting on my plate. Exactly. So not sitting on the chair at your plate. Nope. Not leaning on the table near your plate. Nope. A lady's bottom was on your plate. A A lady's bum. Yeah. A lady's bum on a plate. I should say this isn't some weird Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> dinner party where no. everyone had a lady's bum on a plate. No, it wasn't the new Heston dish. No. This was a lady sitting on your plate fully, talking talking to two men. Fully clothed, yeah. but she was having a conversation and she she just sat on my plate. Yeah. So I, I saw this had happened and I walked over and everybody slightly stopped talking and mm. stared at me and I said, Oh sorry, I think this is my place here. Let me stop you there. You apologised because a lady was sitting on your plate. That's exactly it. Now, we're British, Mm. and that is what you do. A woman is sitting with her bottom on your plate. She could have been standing. She could have sat on a chair. She Mm. chose to sit on someone's plate, Mm. your plate, and you apologised to her. Of course. And what happened? Uh, Nothing. She didn't react in any way, and she went back to her conversation. So I stood there, sort of twiddling my thumbs and looking around and... (laughs) <laughs> waiting and nothing happened she didn't, carried didn't on the conversation didn't she say to you I won't be long she did say yes I, I, won't, I won't be along the lines of I won't be long or I'll only be a minute and she carried on a conversation and she carried on sitting on your plate now mm. did she know she was sitting on your plate yes she must have done she must have done when she sat down well in fact when she got up you could hear the cutlery all chinking around and yeah. she wasn't surprised by that she didn't go oh blimey look I'm sitting on your plate no she was sitting on a plate you, you know 
Danny, if you were wearing a, a lady's dress. Yeah, I would know. A thin dress. You'd be able to feel the plate underneath you. You'd know the difference between the tablecloth and a plate. Yeah. She was sitting on a plate. And in the moment where they all look round at you, who's mm. this guy? What does he want? Mm. Who's this character? Mm. Who's this clown? Mm. And you apologised, I think that's my place. Anyone normal would have just gone, sorry, we'll move, here's your place. Because also, at a birthday party, there are ramifications for your behaviour. Yes. If you're rude at a party... And we all know that we're friends of the people there. So there are people there. We've all got them in common. So it isn't a case of them going, well, who is this guy who dares impinge on our thing? We're all friends. We're all friends. A wider community. So they looked at you. Mm. They judged whether or not you were worth moving for yeah and they thought no no that's exactly it so obviously you launched at them and knocked them off the plate i went in as hard as you can do by also remaining silent and not doing anything (laughs) so you did nothing i did nothing at all nothing at all if it's any consolation i felt really awkward not much but you sat down, and then 30 seconds later, you were eating a nacho off a plate where a lady's bottom had just been. Yeah, I, I didn't really have time to process it all. So by the time she got off, I was so grateful, I sat down. And then before I really had a chance to go, maybe I should get another plate, there was already food on it. So I just had to eat it. Now, the word processing is is interesting there, because when it's been shown in studies that when someone is rude, or we experience unexpected rudeness that breaks all social contracts, and indeed logic... Mm. The frontal lobes of our brains are affected, and they are the part of the brain that um, deal with working memory, problem solving. It's why often we can't think of something funny to say when someone's been immediately rude to us. So it is natural that you would have felt bewildered and confused. I short-circuited. But did you have any uh, moment afterwards of, of, of realisation, of anger, of frustration, of wanting to get your own back, or uh, that moment where you think, yeah, here's what I should have said? I, I felt. Very small. I felt very small afterwards because I thought there was a funny thing where I, a human being, was not worth getting off the plate of. <laughs> they they looked at me and they made a thing and sort of went, no, I'm just going to continue to sit on his plate. And I, I looked at that and I looked back and, and I was angry about that. Yeah. And I do think quite often what I should have done is I should have hit both of the men and then I should have spat at the lady. <laughs> now, this is this is the, the spirit d'escalier, the, the thing you wish you'd done. And, yeah. Oh, I, I think about it now and I think, well, I should have knocked them both out and then gobbed at her. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? <laughs> now, it should also be noted that this was a lady who will keep anonymous, but a lady of some note, mm. um, a, a name, yeah. reasonably well-known in polite society. Yeah. And... A lot of kind of studies have been done which show that um, the wealthier someone feels, the more likely they are to be rude. The more powerful someone is, the less you matter. Yeah. And this could certainly be, you know, a reason for why that happened. She was talking to two people, probably maybe of equal or or, or higher status yes. in her eyes. Yes. And you didn't matter. No. No. And 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 it made me... I also felt very sort of demeaned mm. but the the fact that you were so demeaned made me feel like oh i've i've you know grabbing my forelock and, mm. and nodding and you know oh I've, you know what a, what a terrible person i am to dare talk to this special i mean you go through so many emotions yeah. when someone rich is sitting on your plate well exactly and the natural human reaction is to try and i guess claw some of that 
respect back. Mm. You want to drag them down to your level or yeah. you want to climb up to theirs and say, we are equals, especially at a birthday party yeah. when everyone is supposed... Like, status goes. Yes. Everyone is the same. You're here to celebrate someone else. That's how normal people kind of uh, react. There's a guy called Paul Piff, who sounds like a magician but isn't. It's <laughs> such a shame he's not. Yeah, and he did lots of studies in San Francisco. Uh, he's done so many brilliant studies. Just about this woman? No. All oh, right. About rudeness in general. Gotcha. And um, would have uh, you know some of his students uh, hiding in bushes, for example, spying on people, essentially, but doing science. <laughs> um, and they would do things like they would um, sit by uh, a busy intersection or what is a zebra crossing, and they would have someone wait at the zebra crossing, and they would see who would stop and who wouldn't. Mm. And they found that, in general, people in luxury cars, so people who may have a bit of money or who feel like they have money or feel privileged because they're in a, a luxury motor, were like half as likely to stop as someone in a knackered old motor mm. who probably is more in touch with uh, the common man and each other and realises that we are a society. And further, they would invite um, people in to um, essentially play a game to win a prize that no one really wants or needs if they feel wealthy. And they mm. found that the, the people who felt wealthier were much more likely to lie or cheat in order to win a prize they did not want or need. And not just that, they left a bowl of sweets out, which were kind of marked as for, like, the children's hospital next door. Mm. And they found that the richer people tended to be the people who would steal sweets meant for children. This is astonishing. This is also the thing, I think, when you're not posh, this is what you think posh people are like. Yeah. And it's great that there is science that proves if you're a chippy, bolshy little sod, yeah. you're absolutely right. All of your preconceptions are entirely right. When you were talking uh, earlier about how we mirror the looking glass effect, yeah. that's a very animalistic thing. It's almost like a learned thing from our animal days. Mm. You, can, you can imagine animals doing that with one another. I sometimes think these things, for example, where you don't trust posh people and yeah. you think that they're in some way bad yeah. is almost like the learned passed on hereditary memory that birds have yeah. and yeah. we've seen it happen time and time again and now we're all sort of in a more equal society but we can't shake that vestigial feeling yeah. that these people will do us over yeah. in any way they can and I certainly felt it on that night I felt really there was a part of me and I did think this afterwards there's a part of me that felt you know I felt like I'd been treated like a member of staff yeah that I'd been indentured and I didn't realise it, but I was only ever going to be a serf. Now, those are big emotions to have because someone sat on your plate. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I did feel, I did feel if I was a member of staff, I'd be obviously uh, a crooked member of staff. I'd be stealing, I'd be poaching. <laughs> I, I may even be involved in a murder. I can um, see that. And I can, I can understand now why that happened. And it was because you sat on my plate. Yeah. If I'd have sat on her plate, I'd have been asked to leave and the plate would have been destroyed. Yeah. It, both during me sitting on it and then <laughs> afterwards they would have burnt the pieces. You'd certainly have faced arrest, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have thought. But it's interesting to me still that you didn't say anything. No. If we were to take away the birthday party element and mm. this had just happened in a restaurant, a normal restaurant. Yeah. You would have said something, wouldn't you, afterwards? Would you, or during? Would you have stopped her? Would you have removed her? Would you have had someone remove her? I would have said something, I think. Yeah. I think it was the circumstances of, again, it's rudeness that's unexpected. You can have it in a restaurant and you'll go, there's someone sitting on my plate, but I don't know what the circumstances of this are. We were in a safe space, Danny. Yeah. We were at a friend's birthday party. I recognised that person and they were horrible to me and sat on my plate.
Well, I think it's interesting how we we seem that it's somehow reticent to uh, speak to rude people once they've been rude. In mm. Britain, we tend to tut, roll our eyes, flap our newspaper, and and that is kind of traditionally as strong as we've gotten. I think nowadays we are getting better at calling out rudeness, and I think really shining a spotlight on it, saying something is hugely important. Um, there's a fellow called Gary Foster who lives in Australia. And uh, he got in touch with me just the other day because he had a copy of my book and was reading it on a tram in Melbourne when someone was uh, a little bit rude. So to get that story, uh, I gave Gary a call uh, just a few moments ago. Hello, Gary Foster. Hello, Gary. Hi, Danny. How is Australia? Australia's great. Australia's, uh, it's, 24 degrees, probably what you would call a heat wave in the UK. In fact, you are at the moment, I think. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. So you're you're enjoying it out there. You're living life. You're you're living the Gary Foster way. I'm doing my best to. Yeah, Good. absolutely. Uh, now, when you got in touch um, with me, you sent me a, a an email um, about the book, and you were kind of asking um, an important question because you found yourself on a tram one day. And something happened, and you weren't sure whether the person was being rude to you or you were being rude to the person. Take us back to that day on the tram. That's exactly it, Danny. I was on a tram going into the CBD here in Melbourne and uh, got on, sat next to a guy who uh, was, uh, as is usual out here, man-spreading across two seats. Oh, man. But I managed to sit next to him, and uh, he was scribbling away in a notepad. Um, I've got your book out, sat reading it for about 15 minutes until we got into the city. We get close to the stop, I put the book away in my bag and I'm just sitting there waiting for it to get to the stop. So I glance down at what this guy is, he's just scribbling away manfully in this pad. Yeah. And literally the, the paragraph he's writing, just so I'm about to get off, he says, speaking of rude, I'm sitting next to a guy on the tram who's reading one of those stupid venal books <gasps> that make me convinced that if I put my mind to it, I could be a best-selling author. Man. So I'm reading this, I just think, I, I, I can't believe the guy who's writing this while he's sitting next to me. I, I have to say something. So uh, I just say, um, as I get off, I say, I, I don't think you could, mate. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he has to then turn around to me and say, what do you mean? And I said, well, be a best-selling author. <laughs> and at that point, then, really pleased with myself, yeah. I jump out of the seat, I get off the tram, I've combined two great Australian traditions, which is like passive aggressiveness <laughs> and the completely inappropriate use of the word mate. <laughs> yeah. um, and of course, I've left him sitting there now with no right to reply. So I get up and I'm feeling pretty pleased with myself, and I start to reflect. And exactly like you, Sam, thinking, who's been the rudest here? <laughs> is it the guy who's sitting next to me, you know, writing about me while I'm sitting next to him? Is it me for reading his stuff while he's writing it? Ooh and calling him out for doing it, and then not giving an opportunity to talk back. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, is this your fault? Because I'm reading your book. <laughs> and in your book, you're highlighting the thing about, you know, if you read about rudeness, mm-hmm. you look for rudeness, you see rudeness, you become rude. And that's exactly what happened. It was just, it was like a rude, it was a rude fest. It was, it was a rude bomb. It was a rude bomb. It was rudeness cubes. It was, <laughs> it was a rude storm. It was a rude storm. Uh, but Gary, you raised so many issues there, because you, you talk about getting on the tram already this guy was breaking some kind of social contract all right so you shouldn't feel bad because he was manspreading okay um, and that in recent years has become something of a crime not just something we imagine but I mean the New York Transit Authority ran a whole campaign saying stop the spread uh, 
trying to stop men from manspreading. The Japanese um, at one point likened men who manspread on trains um, to Hitler, which is, you know, it's a, it's quite a leap to make. But they had, you know, big posters up all over the uh, the underground um, with basically Hitler manspreading. And it goes back, you know, more than 100 years, I think, with um, people writing letters to magazines saying that men should stop manspreading. So you are part of a glorious tradition railing against an established rudeness. So immediately I'm on your side. The second thing is you were reading my book on the tram. So I'm doubly on your side. I'm massively against this fella who obviously when you sat down you may have jostled slightly against him because that's what we do in a sort of in a way to show people they're hogging too much of the armrest or they're taking up too much space we might just touch them a bit and as a British man you know it's very awkward isn't it to touch another man. Completely it's, it was a minor territorial battle but uh, you know it's, it is it is awkward it's not something that comes naturally. Exactly but you did that you 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 made that bold move because you had to. He then gets annoyed at you sees what you're reading, but also obviously has some kind of underlying issues about his writing on a tram wanting to gain a wider audience. But then you did a brilliant thing, which was you shone a spotlight on that moment of rudeness. And and I feel very strongly that that's something we should all do. Did you find yourself, when you were thinking, I'm going to say something to this guy, was there a slight tremble? Was there a slight sweat? Was there a moment of um, anticipation and adrenaline? Every single one of those things you've just mentioned, because again, it's not the British way. No. It's, uh, you know, it, it would be far easier just to completely ignore it. But I thought, because I was reading your book and you were making exactly these points about you've got to confront rudeness when you see it and where you see it, I thought, I'm going to have to say something. Let's face it, I can get off this tram in. 15 seconds. Uh, yeah, and you had an established exit route and you knew that 15 seconds later he'd be miles away on this tram, so it was absolutely fine. But I liked your moment of reflection as well and thinking that, because it is something that happens, when we observe rudeness, um, even if we just witness someone else being rude to a complete stranger, we're much more likely to see rudeness later on. And so perhaps you felt that you'd overreacted slightly. I don't think you had. I think you did a a, a good uh, thing that may have made this man reflect. I'd love to know what he wrote down on his pad next, oh, yeah, um, whether too. it was a moment of self-reflection. But you mentioned also passive aggression uh, and the Australian and British way of uh, misusing the word mate or using it um, not in the way that we would like. I, nothing gets my back up more than when someone calls me mate but with cold, dead eyes. Absolutely. Over here in Australia, Danny, to be fair, the, the word mate and the C word are actually interchangeable. Completely right? interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, and they're used in the very same circumstances, which doesn't leave you a lot of places to go, really, you know, uh, after that, does it? You no, know? you can't really heighten it from there. I suppose you could, go, you could always go to Glasgow, uh, where they do the same thing, but then also uh, headbutt you. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, so, so no... I don't know who was rudest. At the end of the day, you could be the ultimate arbiter of that. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the expert on the, uh, on the subject. Yeah, well, leave it with me, Gary. Um, I will consider the evidence. I will work it all out. Um, I will talk to my friend Mark as well, bring him in on the conversation. Um, and by the end of the show, uh, I will let you know whether it was you who was rude uh, or the other fella. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
So what do you think of Gary's story there? <laughs> I don't know what the word venal means. <laughs> Someone describing my book as venal. What does venal mean? It kind of, doesn't it mean uh, of like uh, terrible intent or... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. We will uh, we will we will look that up Good. and uh, work it out. Yeah, I can't really. Uh, it's never really appeared in my Amazon reviews. <laughs> now that I've said that, some clown's going to do it. That's please, all you're going to see. Please don't do that. <laughs> but it it does chime with another event that happened just recently. The IVF pioneer, Lord Robert Winston, mm. was on a train, right? And there was a woman who took her phone out. Now we talked about phones and the very particular type of annoyance uh, that it brings in in the first episode. I think yeah, the single-sided conversation. Exactly. Now Winston, uh, famously, he's quite an affable man, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, he, he seems like a great groovy pioneer. He took against this woman who was just talking very loudly on her phone for ten minutes, first of all, mm. and then twenty, oh, and then thirty, uh, up to an unbelievable hour. Yoinks. And now he's going from London to Manchester. He's just heard for, you know, an hour, this woman having this loud kind of conversation. And he wanted to call her out on it, right? Mm -hmm. He wanted to shine a spotlight. But he made a mistake, I think, Mm -hmm. because he started tweeting about this woman to however many tens of thousands, 40,000 followers he's got on Twitter. And he started uh, venting his frustration and just letting out that balloon of anger to make himself feel better. Mm. The problem was, when the train arrived in Manchester, some of the press had picked up on this. Right. And they wanted to meet this rude woman. And they knew that he would be arriving soon. And so they, I don't know what the phrase would be, doorstepped, platformed, platformed. this woman and said, Robert Winston's been tweeting about you for the last hour. I'm <laughs> <laughs> calling you rude. Who's Robert Winston? <laughs> but she, her reaction was, well, that was rude. Mm. Now, that is true. Uh, you know, objectively, what he was doing was rude as well. Yeah. What he could have done is have a quiet word with her, mm. a polite word. You know, um, I always think that just stop is quite a nice little phrase. If you say it with the right amount of kind of desperation, no aggression, almost you just look like a bit pained by what's happening. Mm. Because then there is that looking glass effect again. I have pained this person. You're more likely to get some empathy from them. Are people worried, though, that what you're doing there is you're going to open the doors for this person to go ballistic with you, to get really rude? How dare you? Who do you think you are? Yeah. And that that fear of that, in a weird way, you can go, well, I'll let some of the tension out by doing this and they'll never see. Yeah. Rather than have to confront it. No, I think so. I think that... It is a very, very difficult thing. Mm. Um, And I think we need to get better at working out ways of passively, nicely, politely, and without enraging the person, pointing out the error of their ways. Mm. And and almost making a joke of it, you know, when the lady uh, in my book, the the whole book begins with um, a rude thing that happened to me to do with a hot dog. And... This woman really took against me, the, the woman I was trying to buy the hot dog from. And she was making all the mistakes, and I was just merely trying to work out how long my hot dog would be. Mm. And I was doing everything I could, body language-wise, to make her realise I wasn't being rude, but I still wanted to know where the hot dog was. So I was holding up my hands, like I'm doing now, <laughs> raising my eyebrows, making my voice lilt a little bit, and crucially pointing outside at my son and essentially creating a child-sized human shield <laughs> and kind of going, I'm just wondering where his hot dog is. Doing everything I could, and yet I still enraged her. Mm. I don't know what I did wrong that day. The book is kind of an attempt to to work that out. So I totally empathise and see that it is difficult to call out people's rudeness, mm. and yet it is the thing we have to do. Mm. I agree. I think I think the way to do it, of course, is you just have to be bright and horribly positive. 
mm. in a way that you wouldn't naturally be. Yeah, I think you're being really mean. <laughs> well, that's not too bad doing it that way, you know. And I, I have done it to you know airline staff who I've seen be rude to uh, to a customer. Even when the customer's gone, I use that private moment with the person to just go. That was pretty rude the way mm. you did that. And then I quickly move on to what I'm there to talk about. They don't feel as affronted because the person that they were rude to has gone. So there's no one to sort of bluster in front of. Mm. And they're kind of being told off by the grown-up in the room. Yes, I have. I had a freeholder of my flats where I live. Yeah. And I had bathroom done. And my bathroom was downstairs in the communal hallway for a day. And he got very, very angry about it. And I did say to him at one point, I said, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you weren't being quite so mean. And he looked really, really surprised. Shocked, I would have thought. And, yeah, totally shocked. And he was being horrible, really sort of over the top, sending me emails that began, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Horribly passive aggressive. Yeah. In fairness, I do try and wind him up in ways that he he must believe are me winding him up, yeah. but has no proof. So, for example, even though I could do a money transfer of the, the ground rent, which I think is about £20 a year, yeah. I prefer to send a cheque because I know he'll then have to take that to a bank. <laughs> and I think it's a bit of a waste of his time. Great. So in a weird way, yes, he's absolutely right to find me rude. And <laughs> and, and I left a bath in a communal hallway. Um, <laughs> in fairness, he's just doing his job. He really is. He is. Now I tell this story, I'm quite ashamed of my own behaviour. <laughs> I don't blame you. Next year, I'm going to pay buybacks. Good. Uh, we, we're talking about the, the sort of the nicer ways that we can fight back against rudeness, saying something that way. But we should also touch upon the darker ways people fight back against rudeness, because when someone is rude to us, it cuts us to our very core. Mm. It makes us wonder why we're being disrespected in that way, and we want to get some of that power back. Now, we're talking about it like grown-ups, but when I did the Wallace Report, uh, the uh, extraordinarily expensive uh, (laughs) (laughs) survey of 2,000 UK adults, I asked them, have you ever wanted to take revenge on someone who's been rude to you? And I also asked them, you know, if so, what did you do? And the results kind of shocked me, Mm -hmm. concerned me Mm. as well, because they start off quite kind of light and almost surreal and um, sort of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't end up that way. See if you can spot when it starts to get dark. (laughs) Okay. So uh, someone was rude to me. So I gave obscene gestures from my car. Mm-hmm. Now, I've done that to a building. That's understandable. I changed their Netflix password. <laughs> Creative. Playful. I turned all of their possessions upside down. Time-consuming, <laughs> but good. I let a dog lick a sausage I was serving to them. <laughs> okay, I think that might be a, a mild offence. I rubbed my bag of chips all over their windscreen. <laughs> I just like that one. I pointed out their flawed appearance in great detail. Oof. I gobbed on their back. I'm all for that. Grassed them up reported them for their untaxed and uninsured vehicle, sabotaged them. I ignored them when they were looking for help. I sent him some offensive letters. I set them up to fail, humiliated them, smashed something they like. This isn't all the same person, by the way. (laughs) I destroyed their stuff. I slashed their tires. That was a very popular one. Keyed their car. I smacked them in the mouth. I punched them in the face. And one person slept with someone else's partner out of revenge for, quote, a perceived slight. Good Lord, that's a bit strong. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah, the only but this one, is who we are. The only one that is left off that list is I murdered them. 
Yeah, that's the last one that, that isn't there. And you're unlikely to put that in a survey. <laughs> yes. do, you, do you know what I mean? Um, fun fact for you, Newcastle is our most vengeful city. Ooh. According to my results, at any one time, around one in four Geordies is actively planning someone else's downfall. Yeah, I'm going to make them wear a coat when they go out. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> so, I mean, what are we expected to do? What are we expected to well, do? Are you, are you, are you a, a, a vengeful man? Uh, no, I, I play the long game. My philosophy is always... Now, you said no. And then you... <laughs> Mark, my enemies are everywhere, <laughs> hiding in the shadows. Uh, but my, my, my philosophy has always been the best revenge is living well. Yeah. And just keep going, work hard. And if their problem with you is that you keep going and work hard, then um, it's, it's really only them that it uh, angers and you have all the benefits. I am going to disagree with you because I think that thing where you rub chips on their car windscreen <laughs> is the best form of revenge. Yeah, no, that is. I, I think that's really, really good. It is, it is the best one. There is, there is hope, though, right? In the book, I talk about this one fellow whose story I'd never heard. And when I discovered it, I was amazed. And it speaks to me of the power of positivity and how that can really change things when it comes to a person's behavior or indeed a community's behavior. And his name is Antonis Mokas. And for a while, he was um, in charge of a university in Bogota. Mm -hmm. He was like, uh, whatever you call it, the rector or the the vice chancellor. And there was some kind of student uprising. They were all furious. They were angry. He was trying to talk to them on a stage. There were thousands of them and they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't shut up. And he was going, shh, shh, and they wouldn't, they were having none of it. Mm. He was just some bloke trying his best. And so he did, I guess what any of us would do, he walked to the front of the stage, he very slowly undid his belt, (laughs) he pulled his trousers down, and he showed them his ass. (laughs) And there was shock. Why, what, why is, why is he, this respected academic, (laughs) showing us his ass? Is he being rude? Are we being rude? What's happening here? And there was uproar. Mm. It was in every newspaper. It was on every radio station. He lost his job. Yeah. But he was seen as a maverick, a guy who did things differently because he was. He, yeah. I mean, he did that. He, he mooned a load of uh, students. Students. Yeah. And Bogota at the time was pretty much seen as the most corrupt and chaotic city in the world. And he ran for mayor and he got in. <laughs> Because they went, well, that fellow, he can't be worse than anyone else. And, you know, he's obviously not part of any weird organisation because he does odd things like that. Mm. And he ran as an independent. He didn't owe anyone any favours. And when he got in, he sacked everyone that he thought was probably corrupt. Great. Got rid of them all. And he brought on board a load of his pals. Mm -hmm. Thinkers. Mm. But thinkers who think of things in unusual ways. And he he just went, let's just try a load of stuff. (laughs) And there was notoriously uh, bad um, traffic violations by all and sundry, people driving anywhere they wanted, parking wherever they wanted. No one cared about anyone else. And when no one cares about a place, Mm. there's that broken windows effect type thing, which is basically just uh, essentially if you leave a burning mattress in your garden, within a week people are going to start tipping stuff in your garden because they think no one cares about it. Yeah. You know, there was there was a lot of research done in Holland where they would leave money poking out of a postbox um, that was pristine and, and some money poking out of a postbox that was graffitied. Mm. And ordinarily right-thinking people would more often than not steal the money that was in the graffitied postbox because it felt like crimes had already been committed and no one right. cared. Right. So when a city is seen as chaotic and corrupt, the citizens don't feel that there are any rules. Mm. So he started to do strange things. The traffic police were notoriously corrupt. And so he got rid of the traffic police Mm. and he replaced them. Mm. And he replaced them with an army of mimes. (laughs) So that's mime artists dressed in black with white oversized gloves. They're painted faces all white. (laughs) 
And these mime artists were sent out onto the streets. Mm. Now, I should say that not all the traffic police were corrupt. So some of the good guys were going like, hey, what about me? I'm not corrupt. And mm. Mockus, to give him his credit, he said, you don't worry. Uh, we'll rehire you, but only if you retrain as a mime. <laughs> so they had to. So what would happen is people would park their car in a bad way, mm. in a way that said, I don't care about anyone else. And suddenly they'd find themselves surrounded by six or seven mimes, <laughs> all pointing and wagging their fingers. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. But it gave the people around them, the citizens, the normal citizens, who ordinarily would go, well, that's just the way that is, mm. some power. Because they could laugh and they could join in and they could mock that person. Mm. Or you might be jaywalking and you turn around and you'd be followed by six or seven mime artists <laughs> mimicking your movements exactly. He gave people uh, thumbs up and thumbs down cards so that if they saw bad behaviour, they could hold up a thumbs down oh, card. Oh, that's great. And other people would as well. And it was like a silent protest. He realised that he felt less safe on the streets when there were no women around, when it was just men. And he mm. thought, well, how do women feel in that situation? So for one night, he banned all men. Great. And he had a night without men, and all the women were encouraged to go out on the streets, have fun, go to bars. Every restaurateur had to be a woman. Every police person had to be a woman. It was all seen over by a, a female police officer. Wow. If they passed a house and saw a man cooking dinner for his kids or holding a baby, all the women would applaud. Oh, amazing. And it was the greatest night. Oh. And he set himself up as a visionary. And... and He's either insane or he's a genius. And I, I think he's a genius. And I, I phoned him up one night. I found a number and I phoned him in Bogota mm. and, um, and had a chat with him about it. And he was like, yeah, people thought I was insane. Even my own mother <laughs> thought I was insane. But he did it. Um, and it got to the point where even homicides dropped in the city. And this is a mark of something. People offered to pay more tax. Wow. Because they felt that suddenly they had a place that was worth paying more tax for. And it's a, it's a, it's... Mime it's the, is money, baby. Mime is money. And it's the power of civility. <laughs> it is the power of shining a spotlight on bad behaviour. Mm. It's the power of community. And it's the power of politeness. It is. And, and don't forget as well, ridicule. Yeah. Ridicule is such an important thing because it's not meant in a mean way. It's holding up that mirror, isn't it? It's that, it's that looking <sighs> glass effect. We need to get a load of mimes. <laughs> I know where to get them, and the best ones are in Bogota. <laughs> if you liked this podcast, don't forget there's a lot more like that in FU Very Much. Out in paperback now, or you can download it or listen to the audiobook. Mark Haynes, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back uh, next episode, uh, which uh, I, I guess, I don't think it's controversial, but we'll be asking the question, why are women so rude. Ooh, enjoy your Twitter mentions. <laughs> Till then, F you very much. Hello, Gary Foster. Hi, Gary. It's Danny again. Um, listen, I've been through the evidence. Uh, I've considered it from all angles. Uh, and I would like you to know uh, it was the other fella who was being rude, uh, not just because he was, uh, you know, giving my book essentially a one-star review in a review no one will ever read, uh, but because you did the right thing in calling out that rudeness. Um, in fact, I'm knighting you. Danny, to that I can only say one thing. Thanks very much, Max. Not at all, Gary. Keep on shining that spotlight in Australia. We're, we're counting on you to uh, derude the Commonwealth. Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers. <laughs>